I want to keep your Bible or what, what device that you have open. We're going to be uh, looking at that second beatitude today, uh, which is, blessed are those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I have to say, when I'm thinking about uh, a first Sunday back after uh, a year and a quarter having been away, this is possibly not the sermon uh, that you might choose to think about. Blessed are those who, who mourn, uh, particularly when you think that over this, the last 15 months, uh, practically every church that I was visiting, I was making some sort of reference to enjoying God. And this verse really doesn't seem to be enjoying God at all. But what I do note when I turn to the Bible is that the Bible actually talks positively here about those who mourn. Actually, in the, the original Greek that is here, the, the word that is used about mourning in Matthew 5 verse 4 is, is the strongest word that is used to describe this mourning. For example, after Jesus had died and he rose again, he appeared to Mary. In Mark 16 verse 10, it then describes Mary having left and going to visit the rest of the disciples. And that verse describes those people as weeping and mourning because they thought they had lost Jesus. That's the level of the emotion that's here, the level of mourning that's here. So as we're thinking about this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, I want to back up just for a moment because I want to think how I believe each of these beatitudes connect to each other. I don't think that the beatitudes are simply a random list of, of characteristics, but I think that, that each one feeds into the next, it builds up upon the next, and in many ways, what the Beatitudes, I think, are doing is that they are detailing for us the essence of what it is to be a Christian. It's the, it's the very core of the gospel, if you like. It's what is fundamental to what we know and what we experience. It's what's so important to us, which is why I've chosen, having been away for a while and now coming back, and especially recognizing that church has not been uh, as we would normally have it and as we normally experience. It's all very, very strange in, in what we're still doing at the moment. I'm amidst all those questions, I want to try and answer what is actually so important, what is so fundamental about being a Christian. And this is where I, I'm going to try and take what I'm saying. So even today, uh, you may not even be a Christian, even as you're listening to me. And you may think that this is beyond you, what is detailed in the Christian message, but I want you to know that even here, God is speaking and that God is telling you this is what he can do, this is what he can bring into your life. Now, the way that I'm going to try and uh, show how the Beatitudes connect to one another. Maybe with my next slide, I haven't got my little clicker with me, but I want you to think about, this is my very first video game, which may be familiar to some of you, Donkey Kong. Um, 
And if you can remember how Donkey Kong works is that you're basically starting at the bottom and you're running along each level and you're trying to get up uh, each of those levels to get to the top, which you do by climbing up one of the ladders, which you can see there. The broken ladder doesn't work. It's only the proper ladder that actually works. So you have to be looking constantly to see which is the real ladder. And it's doubly confusing and difficult because there's a great big dirty gorilla up at the top and he is throwing barrels down at you to stop you and to knock you off. Uh, it may be easier if you were doing this game if you were able to start halfway up and so you've skipped out immediately some of the lower levels and that you can then get to the very top and then you can get into, into the next part of the game. But you can't. The only way that you can do this game is by working your way slowly and methodically going through it. So you will find that the ladders away at the top of each frame are out of your reach at the beginning because you are down at the bottom. And you can only get to the top by methodically, systematically working your way through each of them. And I think that is a good picture for how the Beatitudes work, is that it's a, it's a methodical thing. They're building upon each one builds upon what has gone before. So you don't actually wake up one morning, say, today I'm going to be pure in heart, because you will find actually that that is probably beyond your reach. You can't get there. The only way that you're going to be able to get there is if in many ways the Lord has been working in your life and you're mastering those beatitudes that have gone before. So you start with the first one and you make your way solidly through them. And the first one, as we were understanding just last week whenever James was speaking, was what it means to be poor in spirit, which I think in many ways is reminding us is what you are really like before God. It's an understanding of what you really are, who you really are, knowing that you can never change yourself. And if you are going to change, you are going to need God's help to enable you to change. You can't do it yourself, but you need the Holy Spirit within you. And unless God is entering into your life, you will never know this change. But you do know that God has promised to work in your life. That's what the Beatitudes are reminding you about, that God has promised to come to you, to be with you, that God has promised ultimately to bless you. So what we're then seeing in the Beatitudes are characteristics of the heart, characteristics of the heart that from God's perspective are so laden with blessing that we really can't do without them and that you can never get too much of any of these things. So I'm going to try now, maybe my next slide's going to show about understanding what spiritual mourning actually is. Because it's not your standard run-of-the-mill mourning, like when you lose a loved one because that's always bad and it's always sad. This mourning... And it's really what Paul was writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that passage that we read is really getting at. There are two types of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow, which is just feeling bad about something that hasn't worked out right. And everyone experiences that. Or it could be even real sorrow. And of course, that's deep and that's hard. But that's not what this spiritual mourning is really getting at. Because this spiritual mourning is something that's to do with your experience of sin. And it's how you are working through that. And I want to spend some time just nailing this down because I think that this really is so important for us. 
And it's important because it's telling us how we can actually break the power under God's power, how we can break the power of sin in our lives. Is there some habitual sin in your life that you keep falling into? Is there something that you are prone to and no matter how much you feel bad about it and no matter how much you regret that, you don't seem to be able to kick that area? Spiritual mourning, I think, will play a significant role in dealing with that because God's purpose for your life is not to have you repeatedly in this cycle of messing up and repenting and messing up and repenting. God wants to bring blessing into your life so that you can change. And the essence of all of this is repentance. I think maybe the classic verse for this is Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, if I read those verses to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. To our God, for he will freely pardon. That's how Isaiah describes this repentance. And I think actually that's very important. This notion of repentance is really, really important in the days in which we live. Now, I say that because it it reminds me about the whole nature of change. What I notice in, in so many aspects of life today is that people find it easier to simply twist the Word of God or to ignore the Word of God rather than actually changing their lives. It's easier to get the Word of God to twist and to push that so that it fits what you are currently doing rather than admitting the fact that what you're doing is not in line with God's Word. So what we need to be doing is to allow our lives to be measured by the plumb line of God's truth. And so that we're allowing God's Word to impact us and to change us. And and again, I want to dwell on this a little bit more because as my next slide in the little points remind us is that spiritual mourning actually is specific. Now, what I mean by that is that you need to have a clear focus about what it is that God is doing in your life and what God is showing you. God does not want you to be wallowing under a general sense of spiritual inadequacy or of sin that's in your life and just this vague sense of things that's not right or this sense of failure. The devil will certainly want to have you there. He will want to have you wallowing in that so that you don't know what to do with it. But that's not what God is doing. Actually, I I heard someone speaking on this topic a while ago and it's never left me. The guy said, don't be afraid to look for specific sins that lurk in the dark corners of your soul. Don't be afraid to look for specific sins that lurk in the dark corners of your soul. And then he went on to paint a picture of a dank and dismal cellar. So that dark cellar, and as he painted that picture, he says, of course, there's a lot of good stuff down there. There's a lot of stuff down in that cellar that you'll never want to forget. You'll never want to 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 leave. You'll always want it. So it's good to have it there. You want to remember that. But he says there's also a lot of junk in there. And actually, 
I think James was saying something about this a little while ago as well. There's maybe even a dead rat in there. And that smell lingers on. Or even worse, there's one that's still living, it's still active. And so this guy, as he was painting this picture, says, that is what your soul is like. That's what my soul is like. There's all that stuff in there that's not good, that's not nice. It's horrible. And if God were suddenly one day to flick the light on and you would see it all, it would completely overwhelm you so that you wouldn't know how to deal with it. But that's not how God deals with us because God is gentle and he's patient with us. And he gradually shows us things in our lives that we need to work at, that we need to to look at and consider and what God is speaking to us about. And God is patient with us. And so as the next slide will also remind us is that actually spiritual mourning will always be guided by the word of God. That's what I've been saying. Allow your life to be guided by the plumb line of God's word. When you read the Bible, when you're reading any passage of the Bible, I think it's good practice that you're actually looking at it and you're saying, what is this saying to me individually? What is this passage saying to some aspect of my life? Is there a specific sin here that this passage is trying to point out to me that I need to address? And as you read God's word that way, that is how God leads you. That is how God guides you. That is how God shows you specific things that's in your life that you need to address by his spirit and by his power. And that is what it means to mourn over sin. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Not wallowing under a vague sense of sin, but it's specific. Specific to the degree that sin will always have a name. It'll always have a place. It may even have a time. It's as specific as that. That is what God is working on in your life and reminding yourself that actually every time you do fall into whatever sin it is and and you feel uh, just aware of that and you know that, but each time we do fall into that sin, God, for the believer, he, he he has gathered all of that sin together and he's heaped it all up. And as Jesus died on the cross, all of that was placed upon Jesus. And that's what Jesus decisively did in his amazing wonder and grace and love for us. Because Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. Praise him, thank him. Which is actually why we can think, and then my next point is going to be, don't just think about the mourning of sin but also to think about this comfort, the comfort that comes from God, the blessing of the comfort that comes from God when we mourn over a sin. And there's a couple of things I can say here. Don't get confused by the the future tense here. It's only trying to show there's a difference between the mourning and then the comforting. Because the sense of the original here is that this comforting will definitely come and it will continue to come and God will continue to pour that blessing into your life. But what actually is the comfort? What's the comfort really about? And as I look at that word in the original, it's used a few times in other places. One of those occasions, Jesus was preaching in Capernaum. And a Roman centurion comes up to him, his servant is sick, and he comes to Jesus asking for Jesus' help. And the word asking for Jesus' help is literally this word, and it's literally saying, come beside me and help me. 
Or another time, you've got the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's in his chariot, and he's reading uh, the, 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 um, the letter of Isaiah. He doesn't understand that he needs someone to help him. And suddenly, Philip is walking alongside him, and, he inv- and the wording in, in Acts chapter 8 is, come up beside me and help me. Again, that's the same word. That's this comfort. Literally, come beside me. So the word here about comfort isn't like a reassuring pat on the back. It's dynamic. It's describing help that you get not from within yourself, but from someone outside, someone who comes beside you and gives you this comfort. And I just want to say that if you're a believer this morning, this is what you already know. This is the comfort. This is the blessing that God has poured into your life. It's the blessing of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the blessing of God. The blessing of God the Father in the fact that he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life and that God is doing that and he's working in your life. That's a comfort. It's the the knowledge of Jesus Christ, his son, that Jesus who died and is raised, and right now he is beside the Father, and what is he doing? He is interceding on your behalf to the Father, and that's a comfort. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit, whom we know whose work right now is to work in us so that he is changing us so that we become more like his son. And again, that's the comfort and the blessing of God. You know, when I think about that, I have to honestly ask myself, who would not want that comfort? Who would not want that blessing? And the amazing thing is, as we read the scriptures, is that this is what God is wanting. This is what God is seeking to pour into your life. And so what we have here, surely, is the invitation from God to take hold of this yourself. You know, maybe some people you have been holding back and you're, you're hearing a little bit about the faith and there's something about Christianity that, that is connecting with you and making you think about things, but you've still held back. Look at this blessing that God seeks to pour into your life. And I do not think it is an exaggeration to say that this is what you were made for to know this comfort and blessing. You know, and as we go through life, we will experience various forms of mourning. That will be difficult and painful. We may mourn the loss of loved ones and friends, and that's hard and that's deep and we feel that. That morning may be slightly different, is that sometimes it can be the loss of a dream, the loss of an ambition, thinking about people and their exam results, which didn't go quite right even last week, and the confusion of that. There's a sense of mourning in the midst of that. There will be myriad, as it were, aspects of sadness and pain that we will experience through this life. But actually, this is what makes heaven so different from our experience right now. Because what makes heaven so different is that there, as described in Revelation 21, is that there will be no more crying and there will be no more mourning. Actually, you won't even need to mourn over your sin because sin will no longer be part of our experience. If I was to read Revelation 21, 3 and 4, 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he himself will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And you know, friends, that is what keeps me going. It's that hope, it's that certainty, it's that blessing that I want to have, and it's that that God has promised to bring into my life and your life. Let's pray. Our Father, as we hear your word, Give us a sense of what you can do in us, how you want to bless us. Give us a sense, Lord, of what you want to to do, speaking to us so that we know that it is your word, it is your truth that is speaking powerfully to my heart. Lord, simply show us Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.